and amen. If you have God's word, I want to invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians. I'm going to grab a stool, I think. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And um, we're going to begin at verse 1. And, uh, and look down through verse 11. So if you have God's word, let's turn there together this morning as we uh, just kind of tie up this, this series that we've been on, Making Room. Um, in fact, you know, we've been talking about kingdom, you know, hospitality and kingdom generosity. And today I want to talk about kingdom living, kingdom living. And and so there's a couple things that we want to do this morning. There's one is kind of, you know, tie the ends together and wrap things up. But the second thing is I, I, I want us to. You know, I want us to be able to insert, you know, what we're talking about. Remember, we've been talking about kingdom centric thinking versus, you know, church centric thinking. You know, we're talking about, you know, not just coming and gathering for the halftime on Sunday, but getting out there and getting in the game of life in our community and our world and making an impact for, for the glory of God and for for, you know, for Christ. But I want us to think about how do we insert this, what we've been talking about as far as kingdom centric thinking. How do we insert that, you know, in this movement that we are a part of? We are a part of a movement. You understand that we're a church of the Nazarene and the movement that we're a part of is the holiness movement. And so when we talk about holiness and we understand that, I mean, how do we insert this kingdom thinking into this movement that we call a holiness movement? So that it becomes, you know, relevant. It becomes, you know, something that that we can apply in life and say, yeah, this makes sense. And so to do that, we're going to go to Second Corinthians chapter 10 and looking at verses one through 11. It's a little weighty, but I, I think we can handle it. So let's go Second Corinthians chapter 10, looking at verses one through 11. Paul, of course, writing here by the humility and the gentleness of Christ. I appeal to you. I, Paul. Who am timid when face to face with you, but bold toward you when away. I beg that you, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. And I want us to get that because we need to understand that. That there are some that think that, that uh, we, we live according to the standard of this world, but that's... You see, that's a lie of the enemy. We don't live according to the standard of this world, but we live according to, you know, the standard that is a different standard than what this world has for us or holds up to us. Of course, that's the standard of God. Then in verse three, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. So on the contrary, they they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, let me pause for a moment and say we understand. I mean, everyone that's, you know, come together in the sanctuary this morning. We understand that, that, that we we are fighting a different kind of battle. We mentioned that in the beginning of the service in our announcement that we are fighting a different kind of battle and we're fighting it with, you know, different kinds of weapons and what when people go into physical battle and they have these weapons. But, you know, we go just like the missionary when the missionary goes to the mission field, the missionary does not have obviously weapons, but they're there. There is something else that is going on. I mean, it's a very real battle and they have different kinds of weapons that are spiritual weapons. And, and of course, that's what he's talking about here. And then we look at the, the very next part of verse four. They have divine power. Listen to this. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. 
We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And then we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now, it's interesting because before he's talking about being on the mission field and, you know, we're, we're dealing with that, being on the mission field with the, the spiritual weapons that we have. But then he brings it back home, dealing with the spiritual things of the heart there in verse five and then verse six. And we'll be ready to punish every act of, of disobedience once your obedience is complete. You're judging by appearances. If anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. So even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than tearing you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. For some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and is speaking. His speaking amounts to nothing. Now, a little bit later, about 15 minutes later, I'm going to say, remind me of that verse. It's verse 10. OK, look at that for a moment. So in 15 minutes, when I say, remind me of that verse, you're going to say what verse? Verse 10. So remind me of that when I come back to that. So looking at verse 11, then such people should realize that what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. Let us pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the word today. I thank you for the boldness of Paul. I thank you, Lord, that he 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 shows us this the stark reality, Lord, of of what is false and truth and that that he's very blunt with the truth. I thank you, Father in heaven, that Paul is moving us in a direction so that we might see the kingdom of God in all of its beautiful color and all of its depth and that we might understand it for ourselves and apply it to our own life. And so, Father, I pray that this word would come alive inside of each one of us and that you'd be glorified in it. And so, Lord, I pray for your anointing upon this word today. And I pray that, Lord, our hearts will be open. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name. Amen. Again, we look at verse two, go back to verse two for just a moment. And we recognize what we mentioned already, that that we live not according to the standard of this world. Again, that's why we've gathered in the sanctuary. We all know that there is a different standard That as believers, we are called to that other standard and that the scripture and, of course, the spirit of God is helping us and enabling us to live to that standard. We agree with that because why? Because he gives us the divine power to do that very thing. Now, look at verse four. Go to verse four a moment. Our divine power is not a right, but an honor that God bestows upon us. And he bestows that divine power upon us that that we might demolish strongholds in life. That we might demolish strongholds in life. And as I'm processing this in my own life and I'm, I'm feeling God shaping me and God moving my own heart. I, I realize that some of those strongholds might, you know, not be out there in the distance, but some of those strongholds might be in my own mind. Because in my own mind, I have this influence of my education and my upbringing and, and, and all the things that's influenced me. And then, then I realize that as the spirit is moving and shaping me, that it's possible that some of the strongholds that God wants to tear down, that God wants to break down in my own life. Is in my mind. And so it's possible there is this shifting that is happening or this paradigm shifting in the way that I think about things and the way that I, I process things as a believer. 
And you see, part of the divine power of God is that kind of revelation that that God might be tearing down strongholds in our own mind so that we might have we might have victory. And maybe perhaps the strongholds are things that are right there in front of you. Maybe it's it's the fact that you've been wrestling with something that that makes you tired and weary and you're just sick and tired of being sick and tired. And you realize that God is shaping something and doing something here and, and it is transformative. He is doing that in my life. And I don't know how God is shaping you, but folks, let me say this. There's an anti-life out there that is moving us towards the dark. There's an anti-life in the world in which we live that is moving us away from the truth and away from everything but what Jesus Christ is about. Because Christ is not about the dark. Christ is about the light. And the truth of life, the truth of Christ moves us in the right direction of truth. And there's an anti-life out there in this world that wants us to not buy into Jesus, not to listen to his voice, not to respond to God, not to be obedient. You see, that's what the anti-life out there wants us to do. But in the name of Jesus Christ, I'm saying it today. I'm saying it loud. Get behind me, Satan. Because there is more for us that God has for us as a person, me as an individual, us as a church, us as a congregation. And I claim that in the name of Christ today. And part of that proclamation is that in this revelation, we discover, we begin to think about the holiness of God. Because if we're talking about kingdom-centric type of thinking, not just church-centric. We have to ask the question, how does that insert itself in this movement of believing and knowing that we're called to holiness? You say, well, pastor, that's the Nazarene church. No, that is the scripture. That is the word of God. Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. And so how does this kingdom centric fit into this 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 idea of holiness? And Paul kind of. He touches on this, the the purpose of the divine power in seeking the holiness of God so that we might go to verse five. Look at verse five. So that we might demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So the pretension and and that's that's that agenda that is your agenda, not God's agenda. See, the pretension is that that's that's pretense that that we're approaching God with this. The stuff in the back of our mind that we really want what we want, rather than really wanting what God wants. And so he's dealing with this on a very personal level in this passage. Until then, we take captive, back to the verse, until we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And then the next few verses, he addresses the, the pretense we lean towards, meaning judgment or agenda based on perceptions. And here Paul mentions that some may say that I seem unimpressive, which we translate that as as weak. You know, some may say that I'm, I'm weak and maybe maybe he had a quiet voice and maybe his voice was weak or or maybe in his personality. I don't know. But, you know, we tend to do this. You know, we, we tend to have pretense about ourselves or there's this judgment thing that's going on. And it's preventing us to really, really, really respond. We, we know that in our culture today, I mean, so many people are being affected by this, this visual media culture, this social, you know, social media that's out there. And we, we can read story after story of young people whose lives 
are being impacted. Their self-esteem is being destroyed because of social media or Facebook. And, and yet there's wonderful, awesome young lives out there. They're doing awesome things because this millennial generation is a cause-driven generation. We understand that and they're doing awesome things and working on awesome causes. But yet there are also millions that be influenced by, you know, you know, the, all the social media and stuff. And so there, there is a reason for concern. When we say, how, how does what we're talking about, you know, this kingdom centric thinking, you know, how does it fit in our world? And, and how does it fit in the movement of, of holiness as we're talking about that? And, and so as we put an edge on this, we ask the question then, how does holiness fit in this context? And why does holiness or being and living a holy life matter? So remember now, going back into the beginning of the series, we're talking about making room for God. We have an image of a couch. We thought about putting a couch up here. And if I'm taking up the whole couch and there's no room for God, how is there going to be room for God, you know, to sit with me? And so the idea is that I move over, I make space, you see, so that God can sit with me and God can walk with me and God can whisper to me and God can move me and God can transform me. Because I'm making room in my heart, I'm making room as he is tearing down the strongholds in my life, these things, these paradigms that I've been owning for years or maybe even decades. But God is tearing them down that he might build me up for his glory. In fact, we go back to the the verse here, go to verse 7, the last few verses, starting in verse 7. You're judging by appearance, Paul writing here, you're judging by appearances. If anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. So even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than tearing you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters, for some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Such people should realize that what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. And I underline that. We will be in our actions when we are present. And if we're talking about kingdom living, kingdom centric thinking and kingdom living, that's the realization that Paul is is showing us that kingdom living is this. And Paul notes the realization that it's not appearances and impressions because they they fade over time. But the living and powerful divine revelation is in the action of how we live our life. The living and powerful divine revelation is in sharing the living hope and the, the, the power of Christ. And, and I guess what I want to say is we can talk, you know, all year long about Jesus. We, we can talk all year long about loving others. We can talk all year long about, you know, you know, living a holy life. We can talk for decades and we can teach for decades about being Christian and being holy and all that. But talking about being Christian does not make you Christian any more than standing in the garage makes you a car. I mean, so what's transformative about this message that Paul is trying to give us? He's given to the church. He's given to us as an individual. And what is transformative is that kingdom living, listen to this, kingdom living means that we put action into what it is that God calls us to be when he calls us to holiness. 
I, I love what's happening with our student ministries. In fact, we have a list for you. Throw that list up there now. We have this list of what our student ministries are doing. And over the last year, 2018, 2019 year, um, our student ministries, I'm telling you, they have exploded in activity and meeting needs and serving people and putting action to their holiness. Uh, what happened for several months uh, last school year, uh, one Sunday out of four Sundays in a month, they actually left campus and they served a, a senior adult center, um, the Stellar Care Center senior living there. And so they committed to that and they did that every month, one Sunday a month. Go ahead and go to the next slide. We've got several here. Beautiful ashes. On a Wednesday night, they kind of moved towards this one particular Wednesday night where they're going to challenge the students to support Beautiful Ashes, which deals with human trafficking. And in one Wednesday night, our student ministries, our teenagers raised $700 all their own. Amen. And then they went ahead and they spent time building 250 homeless packs. They distributed the packs. They did a whole beach cleanup thing. And, and in fact, I'm not going to read the whole list here, but you can look at it. Go to the next one. Then they went to NYC. That was in Phoenix, Phoenix Arizona. And, and, and literally thousands of, of students uh, banded together and they, they did all these things. You can see the list there. And they engaged their community and they lived out the holiness that God has been calling them to. And I want to say this. I am proud of our student ministries. In the next service, I'm going to have them stand. Are there any students here this morning in this service? Next service, I'm going to have them stand and we're going to applaud them and we're going to honor them and thank them for what God has been doing through them because they are living out their faith in Christ as Paul is calling us to here in this passage. And man, that just it just really excites me because it's it is about kingdom living. And if we're moving from a church centric type of thinking to a kingdom centric type of thinking and we want to be about, you know, and a part of what God is doing in his kingdom. Then it matters what we're doing. Let, let me ask this question. Here's the one that I'd like you to chew on this morning. Is the holiness of God in us? Listen to this. Is the holiness of God in us observable? I don't mean in the old legalistic type of way. But I want us to really chew on this and think about it for a little bit. Is the holiness of God in us Observable. I mean, beyond our behaviors and certainly the holiness of God will affect our behaviors. I mean, the fruit of the spirit, you know, and, and, and all the things that, you know, are the result of that fruit in our life as the spirit lives in us. And there's patience and there's love and there's endurance and all that stuff. But I mean, beyond that and beyond personality, and some of us were born with just a happy spirit and we're just sweet. We cannot help it. We're dripping with honey. And there's some people that are just kind of dirty rats. And they, their personality is they're just a little, they're a little cranky. <laughs> I'm, I'm tempted to call some names right now, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> you don't have to raise your hand, Rick. Uh, but, you know, some of us were just born cranky. And, and yet, you know, I, I can't help but think that, I mean, if the holiness of God is observable in us, it's beyond personality. I'm not talking about, you know, uh, becoming like somebody else, but it's beyond personality. It affects us and affects our, our life and it affects activity. It affects our schedule. And, oh, I'm, I'm so careful to share this. But, man, it's my heartfelt desire that we are moved on this. But, but folks, I, I need to confess I'm stuck. 
I'm so protected and have been shaped by my generation and and my training and education. And and I I need to wake up. I need to wake up if I'm going to be kingdom centric and really more committed to the kingdom than I am to myself. And, And I need to be moved. I need to be woken up to some realities in our world, like, for example, and I have a list here for you. For example, globally, listen to this, globally, there are more than 68 million, did you know this? There are more than 68 million people living displaced lives in the world right now. I'm wondering how that moves us. Do you know that atrocities against humanity are on the rise, like trafficking and drugs? And and then, you know, why... Why and are we asking the question, what is the church's role in that those realities? And in fact, I have an app on my 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 iPad here and it's a news app and it dings every time there's a news story coming out. And, you know, I know last weekend was pretty, you know, traumatic and emotional for some people because of. The shootings that was being reported on, there was two shootings in a row, what they didn't hear about. There was another mass shooting in Chicago, like 15 people, but it happens so regularly, they don't report it. Do you know that my app dings me, and I'm not making this up, and it's at least every other week, and sometimes every week, there is a mass shooting of anywhere from two to three people to 15 people. It is happening so regular, so often, I'm thinking, what in the world is wrong? What can we do about this? Another thing that I'm waking up to is that the anti-God or anti-church movement in America is not slowing. And also I'm waking up to the fact that, that it seems like churches, local churches are taking sides. If we're going to be kingdom thinking. How do we, I'm asking myself, how do we get unstuck? I, uh, I'll never forget Dr. Kenneth Greider. Dr. Kenneth Greider was a professor at uh, our Nazarene Theological Seminary. Anybody have Dr. Greider or know Dr. Greider at the Theological Seminary there? But anyways, he was an interesting fellow, wasn't he? He, um, he, had, this, he had this little gruff, rough little voice like this. And, and uh, by the way, remind me of the verse. What's the verse? It's verse 10. You remember what Paul was saying in verse 10 or what he was saying other people were saying about him? That he was unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Dr. Greider was like that. His speaking, it would amount to nothing. In fact, his speaking was so soft that he had a like a karaoke box before we had karaoke boxes. But it was a speaker that he'd plug into and with kind of like a shoestring, he'd have a mic hanging from his neck like this. And so he'd talk like that. And, you'd, you know, he had to have the speaker so people could hear him in class. I'll never forget what he did because he felt like he was stuck and he wanted he wanted to get out of the rut. He wanted to connect. And what he did is he went to Goodwill and bought some clothes, if I'm remembering the story right. And, and he took a dime, one dime, put it in his pocket, and he went into the jungle. And the jungle for Dr. Ryder there in Kansas City, Kansas, the jungle was downtown Kansas City because there were a lot of homeless people. And he wanted to know what the homeless people felt like when they were homeless and had nothing. And so he puts a dime in his pocket and he literally takes two weeks of vacation and he lives downtown Kansas City on the street to feel what it's like to live like the other side. 
I wonder how many of us would go that far to get unstuck. Well, if you remember, Jesus went into the jungle as well, and they crucified him. He could have called 10,000 angels. They tested and they tried him and then they crucified him. Kingdom living results in us doing and going and serving. And I praise the Lord. Throw some pictures up there on the mission trip there. And I praise the Lord that right now we have eight or nine people that are on mission in Honduras. In fact, just scroll through those pictures and you can see some of our guys, Pastor Jeff there and others. And and they're working their little heads off and they're engaging the kingdom. And they are doing what God has called them to do in the work of missions. And I laud that and I applaud them for the work that they're doing right now. They get back tomorrow. They come back from Honduras tomorrow. I'm so proud of them. But let me say this, that the kingdom is not just in Honduras. The kingdom is also right here in San Diego, in this metropolitan area. And God is calling us to this mission field. And by the way, serving is, is not without evangelizing relationships. You see, part of it is sharing the story of Jesus and presenting Christ to them so that they might begin to walk with Christ. So obviously it's both and that we are sharing Christ and also it's the mission that we're being called to. And and I understand as we've been saying, it kind of begins with perception. People have this perception of, of who we are as the church. And that maybe is the beginning of the evidence of the kingdom of God in us. But kingdom living pronounces and announces. Kingdom living pronounces and announces, and there is more to this world and more to this life than what we see. In fact, in one article, the author writes it like this. Here's how he writes. He says, more than just getting over, it's more than just getting over, getting by, or getting mine. It's more than brokenness and destruction and despair and heartache. The dark powers and ill circumstances that threaten to wash over us can be overruled. The vision of God is that the church is mobilized and the church embarks on an adventure of faith and sacrifice most of all for the glory of the kingdom of God. Ladies and gentlemen, we are a part of the kingdom of God. We are a part of the movement of God. And and the challenge is, the question is, what are we going to do about it? How are we going to respond? Again, it happens in baby steps. And maybe this opportunity and this opportunity and however God begins to open the door so that we can impact our community for Christ. I'm also I'm 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 I've left I'm less speechless when I think the question. If mission churches of the Nazarene were to go away, would San Diego, would the city of San Diego notice? Is holiness. In us, is holiness in us observable? Lord, let it be. Let it be. Let's stand together and pray. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for, Lord, helping us to make room for you in our heart. To make room for you in our thinking. And, and Lord, even as we consider the world around us. As we think about the greater metropolitan area of of San Diego and, and and Lord, not just, you know, getting a bunch of things to do so that we're working on a to do list. That's that's not what we're called to do. But we are called to hear your voice. 
to rise and to answer that call as you, Lord, open doors and you direct us and that we respond to you that we might be the church and it begins with us as individuals. And Lord, you're shaping me and you're moving my own heart that I might be what you've called me to be. An agent in your world. A light in the darkness. I pray that Father in heaven, that Lord, that you would just speak to that one this morning. That one that Lord maybe has been discouraged or maybe they've been seeking and they've been wondering or maybe even asking questions and they've come into the sanctuary today and they're hearing some answers. And they're seeing and realizing that maybe their calling is even beyond these four walls, beyond this campus. And so, Father in heaven, we just want to make room for you. We want, to, we want to glorify you. We want to be a part of, of what you're doing and how you're doing it. And so, Father in heaven, we just stand here before you. We're amazed as we stand before you. But we're also open as we stand before you. And so, Father, I pray that you just move that one heart. I pray, Lord, that you would just touch that one mind right now that is thinking about these things. And how they might make a difference. Father, I just want to pause for a moment and pray for our, our work and witness trip, this, this team that's gone to Honduras and they're working on, on the mission field right now. I pray, Lord, that all of those, one of our pastors, that you'd bring them back safe to us, that you would inspire them and the excitement that they're feeling in their heart as they're serving you, that, Lord, that excitement will pour over onto us and we'll get excited about it. I thank you, Father, for the way that our student ministries have been serving and how they've been engaging their community. And I pray, Lord, that their excitement will pour over onto us. Oh, Father in heaven, how can I get unstuck? How can I not stay where I'm at but be all that you've called me to be, Father? Lord, I'm thinking about that. I have some ideas that I think that you're planting in my mind and I'm excited. And so, Father, Lord, we love you today. We want to be obedient to you this morning. So, Lord, just speak to that heart right now as they're responding. As they're saying, Lord, I'm willing to hear. I'm willing to listen. I don't know what you're going to have me do. But, God, I'm, I'm, going, to be, I'm going to be open to hear your voice. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And maybe the Lord is speaking to you this morning. And he's moved your heart. And you're just going to say to the Lord right now, Lord, I'm, I'm going to be open. I'm going to, I'm going to be willing to hear your voice. Does that define you? Just take a moment and whisper that to Jesus right now. Jesus, I'm going to be willing to hear your voice. I'm going to be willing to respond as you call me to be the church, to live a holy life, to serve this community for your glory. And so, Father in heaven, I pray that you would hear that whisper right now as we're saying, Jesus, here I am. I'm willing to go. I'm willing to respond to you this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for... Lord, taking, Lord, what we're doing here today and making it for your good. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We want to glorify you in all that we do and say. So, Father, bless your congregation. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.